0: This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. It's a very isolating journey. It's isolating at the top. I think that one of like the biggest lessons and I think that a lot of entrepreneurs can agree with me on this is just the whole hiring and employment and staffing is a forever lesson. My biggest piece of advice that I could ever give to someone is.
1: Emotionally, what's the toughest thing about owning a business?
0: I don't know if I should share this on the podcast.
1: welcome to the podcast
0: thank you for having me i'm so excited and so nervous i'm not gonna lie
1: (laughs) (laughs) we keep it pretty pretty chilled here so it's you know it's funny like i've had a few guests on and we've interviewed you know ceos of um, like we've had the ceo of country road on before and And, you know, larger companies and it's funny, um, I feel like the bigger the company, the more nervous people get because there's, you know, there's a a little bit more on the line. Um, But as I said, we're pretty chill with kind of how we have the conversation. Well, I
0: feel special. You're inviting me up amongst like the CEO of Country Road and these (laughs) impressive people. So I feel very special right now. So thank you for having me.
1: I'd love to start with the startup story. So... Talking a little bit about the early days um, of the business. And, and you know, um, I, I do know a little bit about the story and, um, you know, uh, have, have kind of read a fair bit into it as well. But would love to kind of hear how it all got started, you know, because obviously yeah, you were quite young as well and, yeah. and it would have been a bit of a whirlwind
0: that I'm still quite young, even though I'm turning 30 this year. So (laughs) I feel like I'm young, but getting old. Um, So the business started about seven years ago now, but the business concept actually came about much longer than that. So um, this story is very different to some other entrepreneur stories where people look for an idea and they're like, oh, I want to own my own business. So I'm going to find an idea and execute. Whereas this actually just like fell on my lap there was a problem that I was solving for myself and realized that I needed to share this with the world so I grew up overweight my entire childhood coming from a Lebanese background food is at the core of everything we do and like the food is delicious but very high calorie because it's filled with oil and so unfortunately that left me with just carrying a few more kilos than I should have in my early days and when I was about 16 years old went to the GP got a health check And at that moment i was faced with a very confronting situation the gp had told me i was borderline diabetic so i had to make a choice of either potentially taking medication for the rest of my life or making better lifestyle choices and eating habits and so on so i went with the latter and little did i know that it was going to change my life in more ways than one and that's where my journey for my mind and body transformation began became super obsessed with anything to do with like weight loss and losing weight, tried every fad diet you could think of, shake diets, paleo, keto, you name it, tried it all. The problem was that although they were successful and I was losing weight, I was just rebounding immediately after. And so it was like not a sustainable approach. And so I was on this quest of, well, I want to be able to eat bread again. I want to have sandwiches. I want to enjoy food, but I also want to lose weight for good. And so came across this philosophy and the science of nutrition, became educated around how nutrition works and how the body recognises food and realised it was a simple science and that the weight loss industry had a very clever way of overcomplicating it. So just to put it simply, I'm not going to bore the listeners because they're probably like, we didn't sign in to listen to a 101 on nutrition. We want to know about business. But essentially, it's calories in versus calories out. Yes, macronutrients, protein, your micros and so on also matter. But if you want to lose weight, you need to be in a calorie deficit. And so I realized that the weight loss industry would just cut carbs, which meant they just cut your calories. And I was like, so why wouldn't you just enjoy the food that you love in a slight calorie deficit in moderation? Tested science to the limits, jumped on Instagram and was prepping for a fitness modeling show and made an oath and said, I'm going to lose ice, I'm going to lose ice cream. I'm going to lose, I'm going to eat ice cream every single night for 16 weeks and get prepped for my show. And people were going wild. They were like, you're crazy. You're going to be obese. How could you promote something like this? This was in like 2014, 2015. 16 weeks had passed, ate ice cream every single night and got down to 9% body fat. And it was because one, I was sticking to a very scientifically based nutrition plan. And two, I enjoyed the process. And what mattered most was not the results that I achieved after 16 weeks. It was the fact that I maintained my weight loss 10 years later. Mm -hmm. And that was the most powerful thing. And so during that moment, my business partner and I were like, the world needs to know about this. Like, How can you eat ice cream and lose weight? Like, We need to share this with the world. And so we were working at Google full time at the time and we were just facilitating a transformation service with a nutritionist on the side, just for friends and family. It was just like a a passion project. And then one thing led to another, they were losing weight and eating pasta and pizza and their friends were like, what are you doing? And then they were like, well, I'm doing this thing. And then the demand just grew and we had to make a choice. It was, you know, keep working at Google and have this like stable income and great job for the best company in the world or take the plunge and take this on full time with no idea on how to run a business. And so we did. And so that's how the business came about. Uh,
1: And so how important, like, I would love for you to kind of touch on how you think about the business now compared to how you think about it or thought about it, sorry, in the early days. And it seems like there was obviously um, a great need Um, in the industry and I think great you know great products and great businesses are built off the back of that need Um, and more importantly when you can uh, if we think about more of the marketing and the branding side it's actually discussing something that has you know like nutrition the science of you know losing weight and you know how you leverage nutrition to do that has been around for years and years and years and years
0: forever yeah.
1: Was it the fact that you guys spoke about it differently? Was yeah. it the fact that you guys came at it from a different angle or you met people where they where they were and yeah. and kind of spoke about it in a, in a you know with different messaging?
0: Yeah, so we identified a problem in the market and we had a very unique way and an easily easily digestible way of solving the problem but sharing the message. And so back when we started, there were a lot of like experts in this field, people that have PhDs that were talking about Flexible dieting and the science behind it, but to the everyday normal person who's trying to lose weight, which is like most of the population, you just couldn't easily understand that. And so we're like, okay, well, why don't we make it easier for them? Why don't we just show them how and take the guesswork out? And so that's where the whole marketing and just messaging of the brand really played its importance and what allowed us to stand out from everyone else because we literally came to the market and said, hey guys, Enjoy the food you love and lose weight. It's 80% whole food, 20% soul food. And you can do it in moderation and achieve lifelong results. And then everyone's like, huh, that's how you do it. But there's been people that have tried to share that message over and over again and just have overcomplicated it where we found that problem and found a solution for our audience. And I think that what really helped was that we were our first two clients. So we were our target market mm. and we knew exactly what they, they wanted. And that definitely helped with our marketing and our branding.
1: What, what do you think, like, so if you look back in retrospect, and obviously there was a lot of things you guys did Um, right in the early days like if you were starting a business again how would you go about it like that's what I really find interesting is you know obviously you have a great business mind um, and you've been able to build this great business but going back in time um, what advice would you give yourself um, or you know around say what are the two or three you know core things that you should focus on in the early days of starting a business
0: yeah I think that's a really good question I think that having a routine very early on is super important. And I think we underestimate that. I have friends that are taking the plunge now and they're going and starting their own thing. And it might just be like consulting or whatever it may may be based on their skill set from their career. And they are diving into it and they're like, oh, yesterday wasn't really a good day. I didn't really do much. And I remember those days because you don't have the work ethic that you have now, like years into it very early on, you actually need to train yourself. Like there were days where I'd wake up and be like, what do I do now? What? Or like, <laughs> you just like actually like don't even get as much done. And I look at my days now and I think six, seven years ago, if Amal was looking into the future and thought that she doesn't even get a second to breathe, that's how back to back my days are. But like, I think setting that routine is very important because it teaches discipline. Because as you like move into like, becoming your own boss and doing your own thing you're not accountable to anyone but yourself and so you need to build that routine and create that discipline for yourself and the earlier that you do it the more structure you have the quicker you can actually get things done and get to where you want to be so I think that's super important I think also like don't let the trivial things like stop you from like getting to where you want to be but also like who cares like don't be so caught up in like the little things like focus on the bigger picture I think that's super important to um, do your research very early on understand your audience understand your market um, understand your industry so that you can make informed decisions because as a startup you make you base a lot of your decisions based on gut intuition which I think is great But it's what facts say that will allow you to get to where you want to be a lot quicker, but also make informed decisions. And so I think doing research really early on and using data to really drive those decisions, I think is super important too.
1: You able to elaborate on that last point. Um, I love what you said around structure and more importantly, like capacity in a sense, like you know, in the early days, I can even think back to like my, you know, for myself is like you think you're doing a lot of work, right? Is that
0: why you were laughing? Yeah, I'm like, just
1: like yeah. thinking back that and going like, weird. you know, you think you're doing a lot of work, but yeah. you know, if I compare that to now and the things that you fit in your day or the decisions you make and and the, you know, like your capacity just goes through the roof. And you're right, like you don't. I think it's always that idea of you know how do you manage time yeah. and and that's where that discipline and routine of comes course. in. I love what you said around data and, yeah. and marketing. Um, are you? Could you elaborate on that and talk about maybe how you guys do it? And because yeah. um, I feel like, you know, if there's one thing that I have noticed about the company, it is that you're very customer centric. Yes. Um, and you put a lot of work into understanding that customer, their needs, yeah. um, maybe their, their pain points as well. And, and you know, the, the things that they think about on a daily basis. Could you elaborate on maybe some of the best practices that you guys do and how that kind of filters into your marketing and and the business as a whole. Yeah,
0: definitely. I have a recommendation. I know this doesn't answer your question, but I highly recommend the book Hacking Growth because I started to really understand the importance of data, which I did. Like I think that every entrepreneur understands the importance of data, but it was not until I read that book that I realized the power of data and how it drives your decisions. And so for me, like in our business, very early on in the business, we would not guess our way into creating things or um, designing things or our next step. It was really, again, we were our first two clients. So we knew what the the market wanted, but we'd be like, oh, let's add this feature because this is what we want. But then you release this feature, you've spent all this money and then 2% of your users use it. And you're like, I just popped 100k on that so like i think that for us like before we make any decision in the business we always look at what data is pointing to making that decision so my team are filled with so many ideas they're so innovative they're creative and i love that and we facilitate a culture that drives that but when they come to the table and they're like hey Mal, i want to do this or i want to create this product feature or i want to do whatever we always go into discovery and we validate before we actually make the investment. So we might do a pilot test, we might conduct user research, we might you know, assess the data that we have available to us, identify the behaviours that are, are proving to validate what we are trying to achieve and then we'll make the investment in, in capital and resources to get it done. That is the number one rule that we have in the organisation is that we don't just make decisions because we feel like it, we make decisions because data is driving that decision for us
1: yeah that's that's a really good point so can you i I'm trying to go a little bit deeper here cause, <laughs> but i I really love that because I think if I look at not only myself in the early days but even some of the conversations I have now, I think a lot of companies are actually data poor mm-hmm. right in the early days like they they maybe yeah. don't have these data points or they're not placing importance on having a you know um, a system that can track that so obviously I know that you guys are you know, quite heavily invested in technology. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even if you're not in that kind of business, that I think that's probably where it gets a little bit harder, yeah. you know. Um, but can you explain or give maybe an example of a feature that you guys have actually launched um, or something that you've brought into the business or the technology that has been on the back of um you know maybe some discovery um or even maybe some some that didn't work and you kind of had to you know shift your your thoughts and and kind of go in a different direction
0: yeah there's been a few that um i can think of we are working on a few right now that have been shaped based on how people are interacting with our platform particularly with metrics that are important to us because you can look at your data right and be like okay well (coughs) what is your most important metric for us it's retention we're a subscription based company so we can look and build features that are going to help us acquire more users but is that going to support retention Mm. probably not so then we will prioritize that those that will actually support our retention metric Um, one that we're focusing on right now is just bringing recipe um, like browsing recipes to the forefront of our brand so you look at socials and people are posting evolution recipes everywhere. Our community is sharing our recipes. So it's like, how do we then bring that to the forefront of the product so they're interacting and sharing in the app mm. rather than outside the app? And so that's something that we're currently working on. But the biggest feature or I guess shift in product that ever came in the history of the business was when we decided to launch a more more affordable solution to the market. And that was a huge huge decision financially but also just risk when it came to the business so when we started the business we offered a very premium coaching experience which meant that the price was quite high and the reason is that you're working with a nutritionist on your journey but what we started to realize that the number of percent of users that were actually using the chat function versus what they valued versus the price point and cancellation reasons were pointing at the same thing which was reduce your cost to serve, and launch a more affordable solution to the market. But that's a really big decision because you cannibalize the current revenue that you have potentially just to get this new product out. And so we needed to validate our hypothesis. We had a hypothesis that we were running. We needed to validate it. We needed to create a MVP, launch that, look at traction, assess data before we actually made the investment to be like, okay, let's go. And this has been in the works for two Two and a, two and a half years that we've officially gone live on our website literally I kid you not like a week ago but it took two and a half years for us to actually make that decision to actually pull the trigger and be like let's do it it's and and there's been so many phases of that journey where we were had to keep validating before we're like okay we'll invest more money we'll invest more money we'll invest more money
1: yeah can you give insight into that process because I think like if, could you imagine you saying that to yourself when you first started your business? Crazy, You'd be no, like, um, are, you, are. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you for real? Are <laughs> like, you for
0: real? Like, just do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Two and a
1: half years, um You know
0: what though, like a business at this size and as you progress and you have employees that you're responsible for their salaries and just like bills that you need to pay as a company, you can't just like make decisions because you feel like it anymore because your decisions drive the performance of the business and if you're not performing because of a bad decision you've made, it has such a big impact. Early on in the company, no one knows who you are. You only have yourself that you need to look for so you can take greater risks Mm -hmm. and not be so driven off data but... Yeah, unfortunately, at this stage, you need to be more strategic.
1: What does that process look like from idea to, you know, because you talked about idea, MVP, validation, validation, and then, you know, we can officially actually launch this because I think there's a lot of great insight in that, you know, and what that process actually looks like. Yeah. Can you go into those steps um, and just maybe, you know, elaborate into... What that looks like for your company and how you kind of roll out a, let's say, a new feature.
0: Yeah, so for us, how the whole more affordable subscription model came out was we would assess user, we do a lot of user interviews and a lot of user surveys. So again, being in the digital space, you can chuck a survey in at particular points and collect feedback. And then also if someone cancels, you've got feedback. And so we were assessing this and we start to see a trend. It was, I'm cancelling because of financial reasons and let me tell you guys, people will always cancel for financial reasons. You could be free and they would cancel for financial (laughs) reasons. So you need more than that, right? And then just from user um, interviews and surveys they weren't valuing the coach as much as we did. So when we looked at what we were charging for as a company being a high price point, it was, okay, we're charging because you're working with a nutritionist. But people were coming into the program because it was personalized nutrition, enjoying delicious food. So it didn't make sense. What they were paying for in their value perception was different to ours. And so then we were like, okay, well, what does this mean for us? And what are the next steps that we need to take in order to find a solution to solve this problem? How do we then increase retention but solve the problem of, There's a high friction because of the price point. People can't afford to pay this premium price. And we started this business and our vision is to create a world, right? Like keyword world. How can you have that global impact at such a high price point? And so then... Conducted more user interviews, research, assessed behavior, how people were interacting with the platform because what people say they do and what versus they actually, yeah. what they actually do is very different. So you need to use qualitative and quantitative data combined. You can't just rely on one. So we did. Yep.
1: Sorry, just before you go on, qualitative and quantitative data, great yep. point. So yeah. Uh, can you just <laughs> give a distinction between what they are? Because some people might Don't know, not. yeah.
0: So qualitative is when you conduct user research. So you're sitting down and you're discussing or you're doing a survey and you say, you know, what's your favourite feature or what would you like to improve or what? how many times do you log into the app? So you're actually collecting data that the user is putting into this form. Quantitative, on the other hand, is measurable uh, statistics. So I'm actually looking at my platform that collects data and it shows me... Sarah has logged in three times today, whereas Sarah may say, I, I logged in, I log in, you know, once a week, but she actually logs in multiple times a day. So people don't always give 100% honesty in surveys. So assessing their behaviour through um, quantitative, like data collection or like research allows you to really validate that. And I think that they, they have an importance um, in their own ways. Quantitative data is really great to assess behavior, so how are people interacting with your app, features, engagement, mm. and then quality data is really great to understand how can you improve your platform? What more do people want from this? And so I think that they both serve their purpose, but you need to combine both of them in order to understand what the customer actually wants. Um, there's this book, what was it? It's called Everybody Lies. Sorry, I read a lot of books, so I'll probably reference <laughs> a lot of books. It's called Everybody Lies. Oh, I don't know if I should sh- share this on the podcast. It's it's very, like, not raunchy, but, like, um, so when I read this book, it talks about the importance of data and quantitative and qualitative data. And there was this, apparently Google is, like, if you want to know more about a topic, what people Google search is, like, will always tell you ar- accurately, like, just what they want or, like, what they're interested in. Yeah. Because people feel safe for in, like using in Google. Google. No one's watching. No one's watching. Everyone's have watching. You, have, you, have you watched? <laughs> no, have you no watched I this? haven't, but I can understand the, yeah. the
1: philosophy. Hey guys, just a short interruption. I want to say a massive shout out to our major sponsors, BizCover. BizCover are a business insurance company who are leading the charge in Australia. They are Australian owned. And more importantly, they're a big reason why we get to continue to do what we do, which is share the amazing stories and lessons of successful founders and business leaders. I love having these conversations and I'm sure you guys love listening to them. So we want to show our support for BizCover. Now, the advice I would give to... You know uh, someone who's in their first couple of years of business or they're about to start a business is to make sure that you get your business insurance covered in the early days it's extremely hard to grow a business and it's also extremely tight where you're continuously trying to reinvest funds um, to you know get ahead Um, you're trying to hire staff you're trying to do all these amazing things with the excess money that you're making and all it takes is one thing to go wrong and it to cost you a lot of money to literally sink your business and put you back a year, two years, or even put you out of business. BizCover make it really easy, they make it really quick, it's super efficient, but the, the quality of service that you get when you go with BizCover is one that, will, that you will be a customer forever, just like I've been a customer for 10 years. So if you are looking to get your business insured or you wanna more importantly, just get a better insurance um, that covers you for more, and more importantly, at a really good price, Head on over to bizcover.com.au and use the code Pivotal25 for $25 off uh, a new policy. So that's Pivotal25 off a new policy. Head on over, check them out, uh, and more importantly, get your company insured.
0: There was this survey that went out, and it was about oh my god, I feel if you want to cut just, this, say, no, it, just cut say it, just say it, it, it's fine. Out. <laughs> um, it was about condom use, right? Like just like intercourse and so yep. on. And so they sent out this survey, and they asked like do you know do you how many times do you sleep with your partner and do you use a condom when you like sleep with your partner or any partners and the, sur- the survey results of people actually filling it in came back so different to what the condom you um the purchase of condoms actually were and that's because people were not manipulating their data but they were in denial about what those numbers were like they were saying it a lot greater than what they would because, not because they're embarrassed, it's anonymous, but because they're, again, just in denial. And then Google research showed that the number one question that gets asked in this is how normal is it? How, like, what is the normal amount of time to sleep with my partner? And so it was like, that just goes to show that you can't just always rely on qualitative research.
1: Yeah. People, you will, you will always answer something and we're all Guilty of it. We will always answer something for how we want to be perceived, exactly. and not necessarily for the truth. And that's exactly. where the quality versus quantitative data comes in. Like exactly. Everybody does it. Like you know, you think about interviews. You think about like that's what sales really is. You know, when you're in a sales conversation, you are trying to create a perception um, yeah. of you know of something, and that's that's natural. That's what yeah. humans do every single day. That's why we dress the way we do. That's why exactly. we do all these things. So. I can totally get that. Um, I'm trying to think where we were before that. Where did we come from? The
0: process. So we started to assess both. And then what we found was that the coaching element was not the most used feature, but it was at the forefront of our brand. And so then we were like, okay, what are some solutions that we can Mm. put in place to solve this problem and increase the metrics that we're looking at and improve performance of the business? And so then one of the suggestions that came about was, well, why don't we actually remove the coaching element and have the automated journey and allow them to access our great platform and educate through technology, but just not have that coach there, which means that we can reduce the cost to serve. Mm -hmm. And so for us, we then had to conduct further user research, but people don't actually know what they want until they start interacting with the platform too. So we built an MVP version and we just started to test um, on an audience that we knew wasn't going to cannibalize our premium. So all we did was put it at cancellation point and we started to see what the conversion was from people that went to go cancel to drop to this more affordable solution. But then we also had to assess retention and engagement. What Mm. did it actually mean being on this platform without a coach? What did it mean for results? What did it mean for engagement? We've built a highly engaged platform. We, on average, our users are spending 18 and a half minutes per day on our platform. Wow. And we didn't want to jeopardize that. And we thought if they don't have that accountability through the coach, could it, could it jeopardize that? And so we had metrics that we needed to assess before we were like, okay, let's actually spend more money into building this out. Validated that, then that was just a very MVP beta. like. At some point, I was like, "Should this even be live? Like, I'm like, is it broken? Like, yeah. are we like, should this even be live? Like, some of my nutrition coaches like, this is this is questionable. I don't think it's working properly. <laughs> and so, but um, that's
1: why you put it. You uh, do
0: you yeah. you. That's the point that you need to get it out. If it's perfect, you've are far too that you're way too far in the yeah. process.
1: And I love what you said before around putting it, um, you know, at cancellation. Yeah, like the, a really great way to just test it. Yeah, is first of all, do people want this? Like you know, would this would this be an option for someone to choose, um, yeah. you know, before trying to roll it out just as say another product?
0: Imagine if we did and we like all of our income, like for the business, our revenue, we've got like other additional revenue streams, but majority it's our premium subscription. Imagine if we just went to Mark and be like, hey guys, we've just got a more affordable. It's like we could risk cannibalizing and as a bootstrapped company, you can't take those risks. And so we had to be so strategic in a rollout like this. Like we've not yet officially launched, like launch, it's available on the website, but we've not gone to market and been like, hey guys we've got now got a more affordable some people leave comments like on my Instagram and be like hey I can see that you've got like a, a more affordable solution thank you so much for doing this I'm so excited to join up like so people have like because we've got a lot of impressions on the website they're coming across it naturally but we needed to validate it before we actually launch it as part of our business model but also make the investment into the resources to develop it huh. otherwise you risk it and one thing I, an example where it did go wrong where I didn't use data to support decisions was um, a couple of years ago, we reskinned the app. We completely, we went from version one to version two, new branding, new features, water tracker, grocery list tracker, new look and feel. It's aesthetically like I'm not being biased, but our app looks amazing and it's so simple to use. I think it's like one of the best looking apps on the market. And some people may not agree, but I think so. We did this reskin and we worked with one of the best UI, UX companies in the world. And it cost us, I think the the reskin, the design was about 200K, right? Which is a lot of money for a startup. Yep. And we were like, yeah, with the reskin, we're going to see an uplift in acquisitions. <laughs> Do you want to know how much the uplift and acquisition came from this reskin? Tell me. There was no correlation. At all? At all. Like we cannot point at the reskin of our app resulting in an increase in acquisitions and that was a gut instinct instinct decision that was a two hundred thousand dollar 200k investment into the business with the assumption that it was going to see an uplift in acquisitions so that's the if like two ends of the spectrum
1: yeah I think it's a great point because and and you know obviously in real time because you, I think it talks to the biases that you can have, right? Where you're like, no, no, this is a great idea and we're just going to push as hard as we can and then you, you're you in your own head, right? And you're kind of like, you know, not... Um, you know, for yourself, you're kind of not... Um, it's not that you're not thinking clearly but you're just very aggr- you know aggressively going after this because you think attached. it's going to work yeah you're
0: emotionally attached to your business yeah. one thing that i've learned is is that you can love your business and be so passionate about it because i am probably 10 times more passionate about my business than i that than i was when i first started today but i'm not emotionally attached to it in the sense that i'm not driving these decisions because i want it we make decisions for the business for our target market for our audience for our community so if someone comes to me and says tomorrow which they would never do this but like hey I'm gonna go and make the app blue tomorrow our branding is going blue and we're doing this I'll say okay why like what what is the justification to want to make this decision and if they had valid reasoning as to why and it was supporting whatever it may be then I would be like I might freaking hate it and be like why are we doing this and there are so many things that I hate that I think why are we doing this but it's not for me. I'm not building this for me. I'm building this for our community.
1: Mm, I love that. What do you think... So, you've been in business for a while now. What are your biggest lessons from, say, going from that startup to, you know, now a mature business, you know, where you are having to start to think about scaling, you know, and, yeah. and what that looks like and, and bigger team and, and so on. Like, What have been your biggest lessons from, you know, startup to, you know, that next phase in business, which is, you know, starting to, you know, um, turn into a mature company.
0: Yeah. I think that one of like the biggest lessons, and I think that a lot of entrepreneurs can agree with me on this, is just the whole hiring and employment and staffing is a forever lesson, right? Like you're forever learning with that. My biggest piece of advice that I could ever give to someone is hire slow, fire fast. (laughs) <laughs> because having the wrong people on the bus, because you're hiring f- with no strategy, you're mm. like, I just need to fill this spot. I like, I'm just, we're so under resourced. We just need to get someone in. Is far more detrimental than if you were just to just get the work done yourself and just pick up those extra hours or utilize the resources that you have. Because having the wrong person in your organization can have such a big impact. And I'm not talking like wrong as in like, you know, the skill set's not right. I mean, culturally wrong one thing that you can't do is teach values. And if someone's values don't align with your business, they will always feel like the odd one out. And it has, like, you can just feel it in the energy, particularly when you're a collaborative work, like culture and work Mm. environment. If someone is often doesn't align with the brand or the business, it doesn't feel right and affects everyone. So be strategic with hiring, do it slow, find the right people that align with your business values. You can upskill and train anyone, that's easy. You can't teach values, and I think that's far more important. Um, another one that I yeah. What
1: do you look for in someone? So like I, f- I find that's something that even me now is finding that's really important. Yeah. Like you mentioned it, like skills are important, but you know. <laughs> You know, you can't if you bring someone in who has the skill but they're only fifty percent invested into where the company's going, yeah, you know, that you're better off having someone who's a hundred percent invested with seventy percent of the skills. Exactly. Exactly. So what do you look for?
0: Yeah, so I we have a, a process for employment and I sit right at the end and I interview every person that walks through our doors, like that successfully we hire. I'm the last point of the process and I have three questions. My first question is Who are you as a person? Like, Tell me about you, what do you enjoy doing on the weekend? What are your hobbies, your interests, your passions? Like, I just wanna know more about them. My second one is, actually I have four questions. My second one is, what are your values? What are your top three values? It doesn't need to just be professional life, just like what are the, the three most important things to you? The, and the reason why I ask that is because I like to understand if they are aligned with our business values as well. Like, do they value honesty, open communication, collaboration, innovation? Like, what, are, what is it that they um, value? The third is, like, how, how do you... What is your downtime? How do you actually switch off? Like what do you do in order to achieve that? Balance and equilution is so important. The question that we always ask is, can it wait until tomorrow? Because I've experienced burnout and that is the last thing that I want my, ex- in my employees to experience mm. and if I don't, if, if it doesn't come from me, then it's it will trickle down to the rest of the organization, and so I'm a big believer in balance, so understanding how they unwind, what do they do do they meditate do they you know enjoy long walks do they you know switch off at like you know give themselves till five thirty six and then assess their workload and then they switch off do they hang out with their friends family do they read books what is their downtime and then my last question which always throws people off is based on what you know and what you've seen at the company, what is one thing that you would change and the reason why I ask that is because it allows me to assess innovation. Like, are they innovative? Have they done their research and looked into the business and do they have innovative ideas? Because if they do, awesome. And you don't want someone that comes in and tries to change everything. So you don't want someone to come in with nothing, but you don't want to be like, oh, yeah, well, I think you should be a fitness app, but we're a nutrition app. So it's like you assess, do they actually love what you stand for and can they bring innovative ideas to the table so those are my four questions
1: yeah it's like i think they're the critical thinking questions like because you know they're not expecting you you know you can see if someone's done their research if they actually understand what's going on um, you know, if they come prepared yeah. as, as well, you know, like where they can think on their feet, and they're like, oh, well, I've seen this with the app and I would really, you know, I've done, you. Yeah. that's impressive.
0: That's impressive. And yeah. like I've interviewed some impressive people where I've sat down and thought, and I think you always need to hire people that are smarter than you. I think that's important. And I've looked at them and thought, wow, you're cool. Like you're smart and you're impressive. But then like their values just don't align with the business. And I think you will not fit in here culturally. And for that reason, I have to say no. And the team will be like, but they're great. And I'll be like, it's just not the right person for us. And that is so important. Like filtering out that person is so important. And I can confidently say we have a great team. It's not always been like this. You know, I've learned myself, I've hired like quick and like with no strategy and it's it's had an impact on the business. But today I can sit back and be like, we have a strong team. And every person that sits Like sits and works for Equilution deserves to be there because they are so passionate about what we do and what we represent as a company. Uh,
1: You, I I, one of the questions that I like a question that I love as well is like, what's your vision for your life in five years time? Because if someone doesn't have a vision for their life, why the hell would they work for you? Like, you know what I mean? Like, so if it's to have a family or it's to buy a home or it's to be able to travel and do this thing whatever it is it doesn't matter what the vision is as long as they've thought about it that's always one that i find is like it's great to find out about what this person wants long term because if you're a part of that that means they're going to do great work for you as well
0: of course i agree with that that's a really good question and a really good statement as well um for me like my vision i'm i think i'm in like the crux of my career I feel like I've only just started getting started. Like I'm more of a scale-up girl than a startup girl. I think that this is like where I feel like I'm finally thriving. Like I worked hard very early on in the business, but I feel like this complements my skill set more. I really love working with facts and data and taking a business and going from like a certain like amount of revenue to like the next milestone and the next milestone and so on. And so for me my vision is very aligned with the business. So it's hard for me to see outside of that because I don't feel like my work is done for Equalution yet. And so my vision really comes around really hitting the masses with our message. So we are, you know, predominantly Australian based and we have been for such a long time because of our premium offering. But now that we have this more affordable and scalable solution, we can now take to the global market significantly, which means that we can actually hit the masses and make our product more accessible. And so for me, it's having that global impact in this space where people can start to understand what balance and sustainable nutrition is. And that for me is my five year vision.
1: But, and I think like it talks to the fact of just how important it is to have that because, yeah. like, you know where you're trying to get to. And yeah. more importantly, you know what you have to do to actually achieve it. And therefore, you've got something to work for. And finding it's people so that true. align with that is really important. Yeah. I had a question about firing. So, because, oh, because you know what? Hiring, on the spot is, today. <laughs> hiring is the good part, right? Like, that's no, the, that's, no. it's it's definitely <laughs> difficult, but yeah. it's not, it doesn't test you like, Um, firing does you know um, I'm sure you can look back to the first person you fired um, and think about how tough that conversation was but you talked about firing quick and I definitely agree with that I think if you have someone in your business that's not invested if you have someone in your business that's ruining your culture um, or it's not kind of you know it's it's not um, aligning then it can be very detrimental but you know what advice do you have around that because there's there's founders and there's you know people in startups right now who they're either going to make their first fire maybe in the next month or they're like dealing with someone in the business who they're like yeah. oh this is like uh, you know you can feel that that tension or you can feel that that it's not working like what advice do you have for that
0: yeah i think that it's important that you act on it that is like far the like far the most important piece of advice is act on it don't let it stew and if you are having a problem with someone on performance or attitude or whatever it may be don't just like let it go, like raise it, because I think the worst thing that you can ever do is like sit on something for so long and then just go ham and just be like, well, you did this. And it's like, well, why didn't you tell me when I did it two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. The best piece of advice that someone ever gave me was when I was in this situation where I felt like I was torn about what to do about um, like just this employment thing. And they said to me, Amal, you need to think of it like this. And I have not thought of like just employment in any other way, like people that work for Equilution. Um, any differently to since she gave me this piece of advice and she said to me Amal people always have a plan b you know they they um, apply for acquisition they're hired but if it doesn't work out at acquisition they have a plan b a plan c a plan d they might be unemployed for a couple of months but they're going to find another job and yeah it sucks that they don't have employment for a couple of months but they'll be okay Mm. but whereas you you don't have a plan b and so you need to do everything that you can and make every decision that you can that's in the best interest of the company and if that person is not fit for your culture or they're not performing then you need to find a new to let them go because this is your plan a to z and when that was said to me it hit so differently that when i have these conversations and people aren't performing or they're just like not a, a great uh, contributor to the company whatever it may be i look at them and i think you're going to be okay after this and i'll support you and i'll help you find another job but this is my only plan and I need to do what I n- need to do in order to get there. And unfortunately, you need to have difficult um, conversations like those.
1: That's so powerful.
0: Oh, it's so powerful. Like, I think about it all the time. Like, you just... N- and as an entrepreneur, you need to keep reminding yourself that, that of that because there are things that you don't want to do. Like, I don't want to fire people. It is, like, the worst <laughs> thing ever. Yeah. And, like, I have a head, head of HR now that does it. Um Jen, shout out to you. You're probably going to listen to this. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and we don't fire a lot of people, to be fair, because our process to recruitment is so like specific right, that yeah. we don't really get to that point anymore, which is really great. But um, yeah. It's a part
1: of business though. Like it, it happens in every business. And it
0: could be outside of employment, just making decisions that you just wouldn't necessarily want to and yep. f- facing confronting situations. Just remind yourself, I don't have a plan B. Yes, you'll be fine. Like people tell me all the time, well, if you know, anything happened to evolution, you'd be fine. But I don't want to have to think about a plan B. This mm. is my plan A to Z. I
1: love it. You said you're a scale-up girl.
0: Oh, no, these are more difficult questions. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so um, what do you focus on? You know, like like I think, what do you think, What a better question actually, what do you think stops people in their tracks? Like it's obviously, you know, a difficult thing to go from a startup, which is just hustle and bustle chaos, you know, managing the storm, um, finding product market fit, to then going, no, now it's about, you know, a different set um, of principles and and um, you know, uh, different themes that are going to help us go to that next level in business. Yeah. What do you think stops people in their tracks? Why do you think that jump is so hard?
0: Yeah, I think there's three, no, four four things. The first one is always remaining relevant and competitive. So. Your your unique value proposition is going to change all the time. So you need to always be thinking one step ahead. You might be cool because you do fun recipes, but then there are 10 other people that pop up two weeks later they are doing fun recipes. So you need to be moving quite quick. You need to be agile and you need to be always thinking about what allows you to stay competitive in this market. There are always going to be competitors, but you need to be able to always be the one that has that little bit more all the time. No one can copy you if you're always innovating. Yeah, Yeah. and your competitive advantage will always change. So, always evolving that. The next one is, I think that like not backing yourself and an example that like I can give is literally like last night or the night before, there was this metric that I like was, I need to hit for the business. (laughs) I love how much
1: of a numbers person you are. There's this metric
0: (laughs) and they're like, you need to hit it. And I'm just like, I don't know if I can hit it. And I was speaking to my advisor and she's like, snap out of it she's like you're going to hit it and you're going to do it so well and I like my doubt at one point I was just gonna be like I can't do it guys like I'm we're gonna have to like think of another solution because I can't do it so like you need to just back yourself because as you progress in this journey you will always feel like an imposter you'll be like but like, how am I going to do it? And like, you won't know all the answers all the time. And that's okay. It never goes away. Yeah, like it literally like, never it goes never away. It never goes away. It doesn't matter if you're making a million dollars or a hundred million dollars. You will always still feel like an imposter. And so that little voice inside your head, you need to tell to shut up and be like, I can do it. And I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to get it done. And if I don't, that's okay. Because there's a lesson on the back of it. So that, um, my third one is, oh, sh- I forgot. <laughs> so first one was competitive advantage, second was backing yourself. Third I think is like funding. I think that sometimes funding mm. can get in the way of actually progressing or taking the business to the next step. A lot of founders underestimate how much you actually need to invest in your company to see that growth and that acceleration. Organic marketing is only going to get you so far and I think it's really great very early on when you don't have much funding to turn over your first you know, million dollars or whatever it may be, can probably be done without investing heavily into marketing or product or, or whatever it may be, depending on your industry. But if you wanna go from like the 5 million to 50 million, that's when you need to start thinking about the money that goes back into the business. Whether it be external funding or funding like from profit in the company, you need to consider like how much quicker you can get there if you had more resources to support your strategy. And then my fourth one is strategy. That is the fundamental in this entire like process is that you need to be sure about what you want to do. Like you need to have a strategy that says, this is who we are and this is what we, we want to achieve. And this is how we're going to get there. And then if things come your way, which plenty of opportunities will come and plenty of distractions, but if that doesn't align with your strategy or won't allow you to reach the performance metric that you're measuring, you need to say no and you need to keep focused. So strategy is very important.
1: They are all seriously important. I love uh, you know I I think the interesting one for me out of that is the funding side because yeah. I think that scares a lot of people. Yeah. You know like um no one really like there's not many people that get into business thinking that eventually one day they're going to get funded and they're going to raise money and yeah. um but it, it is a very interesting conversation when it comes about because you're right. like sometimes um, when the business gets bigger, like cash flow can be a problem. oh yeah right and and you know be able to self-fund those investments. you know you you said it, but it, the investments you have to make only get bigger as the company gets bigger. Uh, yeah. and um, yeah, I just found that really interesting and I yeah. think I, I love that you said that because I think, We wanna plant that seed into more founders heads. And
0: I think that the best way to look at it is, do I wanna have a bigger piece of a smaller pie or a a smaller piece of a bigger pie, right? And so it may mean that you need to bring on investors or people to fund the, the growth capital in your business, but don't be afraid to do that because sometimes without those people, you can't actually get to where you want to be. So you might always be sitting at a $5 million company but then, if you had more capital, because you knew, if I actually had an extra million dollars or ten million dollars, I could go and go from like a user base or selling a thousand quantities of units of my product to ten thousand to a million quantities, because I can then invest in marketing. My marketing cac is X, so if I invested a little bit more, I could get X Y Z. That goes from a five million to a fifty million dollar company. And if you owned, you know, half of a fifty million dollar company versus one hundred percent of a five million dollar company.
1: It's the same with partners, you know, like in service-based businesses, which is the world I come from, which is a little bit different, but it's the same thing. Like bringing in, you know, like uh, I I think the rule is, is like 10% of your revenue, sorry, 90% of your revenue will get generated by 10% of your people. And it's the same thing. Like you need to get those real winners on your side. And sometimes that means giving away a little bit of equity. Um, and so on, but similar principle. And
0: there's other other ways to get funding. There's like non-diluted options where like, you know, you can get funding for no security, like it might be security on your shares and so on. But there are so many options in the market now. But I just think that if you want to see significant growth, at some point you need to invest in your company, Mm. whether that be marketing products, whatever it may be, to actually start hitting those masses and it's great if you have a highly profitable company that can fund that but don't be afraid to put your own money behind it too
1: 100% you have to and i think that's the that's what you're in the game of business so yeah. you got to you got to be willing to kind of really play at that level yeah we're going to finish off with quick fire wow that was quick yeah well we we it actually is being a little bit longer than what you would think <laughs> i reckon it goes quick though but we we finish with quick fire so these are short Questions you don't have to give a short answer, but it's just like really broad, deep questions I'm that we nervous. love to You've talk.
0: you me some challenging questions today. <laughs> yeah, well, I,
1: I mean, I think we try to cut through, you yeah. know, because a no, lot that of was great. A lot of podcasts can be a little bit fluffy and a little yeah, bit just like I not agree. really, you know, delivering anything. But the first question I would have is emotionally, what's the toughest thing about owning a business?
0: It's a very isolating journey, it's isolating at the top, and I think that. You know, as a founder of a company and even as a CEO of a company, you have the responsibility of your employees and your bills. And so Mm. when the day ends and everyone clocks off and they go home to their family, they don't care because they're going to get paid. But you are responsible for every dollar that goes into that business and out of that business. And so when you're crying at night because you're stressed out of your brain because you might be underperforming or this may have happened and a spanner was thrown, whatever it may be, no one else is crying with you you're the only one that's crying and so it can get really isolating and I think also just like being in this space what you realize is that people that are around you whether it be contractors like suppliers or even friends they're only really there when everything's exciting and you're celebrating their wins like yeah let's like you know like cool well done go you slides into your dms a mile how are you haven't spoken to you in a long time But then when you're not performing very well or shit's hit the fan, which shit hits the fan daily (laughs) and you talk about it, everyone's gone missing. Mm. So it can be a very isolating journey. And so I think that it's important that you surround yourself with like-minded people. I am so lucky to have the friends that I have. Like my friends are some impressive entrepreneurs, even people that aren't entrepreneurs, but just like bring so much value into my life that I know that whatever my problem is, I can just give them a call and be like, hey, I'm feeling shit. This has happened. Can I just talk about it? And they will always be there. So yes, it can get really isolating. It's
1: so true. I was having that conversation with someone. Actually, I think I talked about it on the podcast. I did a solo episode, the one we just released. But like talking about one of the best things that you can do is as a founder is have a conversation with another founder, you know, just a friend where it's like there's no judgment, you know, it's a safe space. But like, you know, that they know what you're talking about. Because, like you said, it's very isolating. And so, if you're talking to, trying to talk about these problems, and the person doesn't understand, you're kind of like, it's not their fault, but it's just like you don't get any closure from it, or you can't, you don't can't really get anything off your chest.
0: And you you also question their advice. You're like, but how credible is that? Like, you've not experienced this, so, like, do I take your advice? Yeah, yeah. Whereas someone that's been, you know, on this same path, I've got a friend. She started. She's the founder of a billion dollar company, so it's a unicorn. And so like when I go to her and she's like my soundboard and I say, hey, what do you think of this or whatever? Immediately, as she says whatever she says, I'm like, I know that what you say is credible because you've experienced this before. Yeah. she'll always It's wisdom, it, right? Yeah, wisdom. And she'll tie it back to an event that actually happened. In, like She'll storytell. I'm like, shit, that's what I'm going through right now. Like, mm. you're right. So yeah, the credibility behind founders, it just, yeah, it, it makes it easier too.
1: I love it. What's one piece of advice for your younger self?
0: Honestly, have more fun. Just, like, enjoy the process more. Don't be so uptight and stressed all the time. Like, shit never goes to plan, like, ever. And, like, that's okay. And so, like, if I could, you know, go back to my younger self and give her a few words, I would be like, just enjoy it a little bit more. Like, celebrate more of the smaller wins. Like, you don't need to, you know, be hitting these huge milestones to give yourself a pat on the back. just enjoy it, have more fun, live a little bit more, you know, don't be so caught up in all of the finer details. Like it's okay. Life's great.
1: Yeah. It's so true, but it's so hard to do. I find like even now, like I'm just like, there's times where you're so stressed and you're so like, oh God, but then, You know, um, I think that's great advice for founders, especially in the early days, like try to have fun as much as you can, even though it's hard and running a business is hard. Try to have fun. And
0: fun doesn't need to be like going out and partying and whatever and like, you know, not working. Just have more fun in your work and actually celebrate Mm, the wins because that's so important.
1: Yeah, 100%. What advice would you... This could be the same answer, but if not, that's fine. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in business?
0: I think that I, look, I, I think I answered that in one of my questions of like, what would you do if like you were starting your business again? I think that one, do your research. So fundamental to back yourself. Like you are, like I said, always going to feel like an imposter and you're going to doubt yourself, but you need to have confidence in your capabilities and your skill set to get it done and just have confidence that you'll do whatever it takes to get it done as well. So back yourself and also what we just touched on surround yourself with like-minded people it's very isolating and you only know what you learn but if you only know what you know and you will always learn from people that have been on this journey as well but also like resources and material and whatever but yeah surround yourself with like-minded individuals as well
1: i love it what is the most important trait that a founder must have for success and why
0: I'm not going to give you a typical answer where it's like leadership or good managerial skills or communication. I'm going to say resilience and that's because as an entrepreneur, like I said, shit always goes down, right? And you need to be able to bounce back when things don't go your way, when there are challenges and there are probably... Double the amount of lows than highs in a journey like this, and you need to have that resilience to overcome them and keep going. Mm. If you don't, you won't last very long in this journey. So, Mm. I think resilience is the number one trait of entrepreneurs. It's the truth. Yeah, (laughs) that's the truth. You've ever heard it. Yeah,
1: it's often like I often think of it like um, it's just a game of of time, you know, like how, how long, how many, how many times can you get struck down and just get back up again? How many
0: times can you deal with shit? Literally, (laughs) that's what it's like. Every 40 seconds, maybe. (laughs) And what you guys, what you see on Instagram is the highlight of someone's life. I'm not going to get on there and show myself crying and be like, Oh fuck, I fucked up today or this happened or this stressful thing happened or this confronting situation. You're never going to see that, but you're going to see me celebrating with my team and doing this and product launches and you know, whatever it may be. So like, don't always believe what you see on social. This journey is challenging and you need to be resilient and you also need to be disciplined in order to get through.
1: Marl, I want to say a massive thank you for your time. I think um, I I loved your passion. You know, first of all, I think you show a lot of passion for entrepreneurship and, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of wisdom there as well from building the company that you have and the brand that you have. So a massive thank you to you. I know um, that obviously as an entrepreneur as well time is of the essence so I appreciate your time massively. Where can people find you um, whether that's on Instagram and if they don't know ab- about um, the business as well we'll we'll get that in there too.
0: yeah well firstly thank you for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed this podcast and I hope people got value out of this as well um for myself i'm on instagram TikTok, linkedin everywhere digital company needs to be everywhere it was up to me i wouldn't have a social presence but here we are um amal.wakim so just like my name you can find me anywhere Um, and then the business is just equilution so we're a health tech company in the nutrition space um huge social presence so you search equilution which is like equal and then ocean like E-Q-U-A-L-U-T-I-O-N. And you'll find us everywhere. So across all social platforms.
1: I love it. Johnny boy, thanks for putting this together and to our um, lovely community. Um, We're well and truly into 2023 now, but thank you for all the support. Um, I hope you enjoy the episode and we'll see you next week.